Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski, and I interview bike tourists from around the world to bring you stories of their adventures and experiences. These are people who get out there and leave the comfort zone of the typical 9 to 5 to embark on ambitious adventures and take on challenges that most people can only dream about. If you like what you hear today, please share this podcast with other bike tours you know, or anyone else you think may be interested. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram at Bike Tour Adventures. Hey there, listeners. Just as a quick foreword on this, I decided to release the episode about Shred America before the episode with Luke Grenfell Shaw. So that one will be coming out next, and I hope you enjoy today's interview on Shred America. In this episode of Bike Tour Adventures, I have the chance to talk with and get to know James Lagan. In 2008, James and three friends rode their skateboards and bikes from Chicago to New York City. Fueled by youthful ignorance, the four navigate America's landscape through a maze of wrong turns and unfortunate circumstances. Today, we're going to hear from James about their adventure and what they learned along the way. With their upcoming documentary, Shred America, their project is coming to an end. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks for having me. So yeah, I've used a bit of the blurb you guys had because I thought that just kind of encompasses it best, uh, the intro. Yes. And um, it felt like I was trying to write stuff and I was like, you know what? No, I saw their website. That was pretty much right there. That's that's what I need to say. Mike and Arthur made it get uh, very succinct, very easy, good tagline, <laughs> you know? Yeah. To start off, tell me about yourself and, and the rest of the guys. You know, for this trip... We're four guys that grew up uh, in the suburbs of Chicago, the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Mike, Arthur, and I, the, t- uh, the two skateboarders, we all went to the same high school. They knew Tony, the other cyclist from skateboarding, you know, the, the part of the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had just graduated from high school, and we were in community college, and Arthur and Mike had come up with this idea, and they came, you know, super excited to, to, the, to the cafeteria one day, and were like, hey, we're going to do this thing. We're going to skateboard from Chicago to New York City. And I think it had been like a dream that Mike had, like an actual dream. Not okay. like a, okay. He had this from a kid, like he, he was sleeping and he came up with the idea, like, you know, his brain, you know, was like, hey, skateboarding, Chicago to New York City. And he's like, this is what I have to do. <laughs> uh, and Mike is, that, Mike is that way. He's very driven. You know, when, it, when, when something pops in his head, he just does it. And, you know, he took that enthusiasm and I was a guy, I had never, I had biked before. I had, uh, I had biked around town. Uh, you know, I was part of the broadcasting club in high school that Mike and uh, Arthur were a part of. And so we'd had experience filming things and they were big, big into filming. 
And they said, hey, we need someone to come along and film. Would you be in? And Arthur, from kind of minute one, was this really enthusiastic supporter of me going on the trip and filming. Oh, cool. Even though, like, I had experience with cameras, I didn't have a lot of experience long-distance biking. I was like, yeah, that, that works. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of, like, the, the, how the trip all started. And that's how everything kind of, like, started was our high school buddies now in college, 20 years old, and saying, hey, let's do something. Okay. And is Mike the guy on the the website? Is he the guy in the foreground or the background? The one with no shirt on or the shirt on in the background? I, if, if the shirt's not on, I'm guessing that's Arthur. I oh, haven't yeah. looked at the website recently. Yeah, yeah. But Mike is the blonde guy, probably with the shirt on. Uh, and the shirtless guy, if I had to bet, would have to be Arthur. But I might be wrong. Let me go to the website right now. Oh, okay. No, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm right. The shirtless guy is Arthur. Okay. Doing the thumbs out sign. And, the, and, and Mike is the blonde guy in the back with his shirt on. Yeah, and like the guy in the video that had no shirt the whole show or... Uh... <laughs> That was a regular thing for Arthur was, was being shirtless, I think, because Mike had has fairer skin. He wore his shirt more, you yeah, know, but yeah. Arthur Arthur was definitely rocking the shirtless look the entire trip. Okay. We had to we had to force him to put clothes on to go eat get food. We'd be like, Arthur, you know, it's we have to eat we have to get Burger King, like you need to put a shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> no shirt, no shoes, no service, right? Exactly. So how did it come to be that uh, Mike and Arthur were the guys skateboarding? Because you guys all kind of skateboarded a lot too, right? Actually, I had never skateboarded in my life. Uh, so three of the guys on the trip were skateboarders. And it, it came to be that they were the skateboarders because they were a big part of that community. Uh, the biking was a necessity to move equipment around. Exactly. You know, yeah. like we couldn't, we couldn't have three skateboarders and one cyclist because we had two cameras, you know, a tent, food, you know, kind of provisions to get from town to town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that necessitated, you know, two bikes. And those two bikes, we'd attached, you know, kind of jury-rigged baby carriers to them, you know, like the child carriers. And, uh, you know, Mike and Mike's dad, and I think Arthur and Arthur's dad, reinforced the structure with wood to make sure that it didn't just bottom oh, out. Because those okay. things are just like cloth mm-hmm. and aluminum wire frame. They're not, you know, they're not sturdy enough to go long distance. Uh, and they hooked those up to their bikes that they just had in the garage. Like, we didn't buy purpose-built bikes. They were just the family bikes. These are two bikes that were just sitting in their respective garages, not really kept well yeah. for this purpose. You know, they're just around. They're the I noticed bikes. that, yeah. I mean, one of them was full suspension, which is probably just about the worst thing you could have with going over the Appalachian Mountains and stuff. Thankfully, by that point, we didn't. We, we, we yeah, had new bikes. We'll, we'll, but, we'll but, get to know, that, yeah. The trip necessitated two cyclists for just filming the documentary because the thing that was clear from the very beginning of this and that Mike and Arthur were very passionate about was we were going to do this trip filming them for a documentary. And so everything kind of like started with that idea uh-huh. of filming the documentary. You know, so we, we planned and figured, okay, we can't really afford a car. You know, we can't afford the gas. This isn't going to be a documentary. You know, it's like it's on a 20-year-old's budget. We have part-time mm-hmm. jobs, you know, like, or, you know, going to school. It's not the kind of money where you can have a follow car, or, you know, or people, you know, like real logistics. Yeah. So they were they were always the skateboarders because it had been Mike's ideas first and he went to Arthur first. And then we kind of got added on after. Okay. Did anybody have any touring or traveling experience prior to this? Absolutely zero. Nobody on this trip had ever taken a trip this long distance. Okay. Uh, the furthest that, that people had gone. Uh, was kind of like, you know, maybe 20 or 30 miles. Right. But, you know, to my knowledge, we all walked in having never gone that far at all. You okay. know, like, or not even, not even like 100 miles. You know, it's like it, it was, it was very, very little experience. 
Yeah, and you were saying that、uh, you had very little experience. Like, did you guys practice putting up and down the tent, or you had an idea of what you're doing, or was just kind of a no, no. I mean, I think Arthur Mike might have, you know, the, but it's just once again, I don't think Arthur had had tents and he'd had camping experience,、mm-hmm. and so you know, in that way, we had some outdoorsiness. Okay, but Mike got like Mike almost exclusively got his information from Bear Grylls. Like, you know, he's like watching <laughs> National Geographic, and I remember because he's like, "Yeah, space blankets. These are great. We'll have space blankets. These are going to be perfect." And then we go a night, and we didn't have any other blankets but the space blanket, and come to find out the space blankets. Aren't great if you don't have any other form of insulation.、Right. You know, like they just kind of made us sweaty and cold, and trapped the moisture <laughs> under us, and, and and so we were like sweaty and cold. And literally, like the next day, we went to Target or Walmart and bought blankets. Okay, and like threw the space blanket away because it was like, well, that wasn't helpful. Yeah.、Uh, so no, like we didn't have a lot of real practical experience. We had a lot of like media gleaned knowledge of survivalism, and really,、mm-hmm. you know, it's also not. Survivalism because、yeah. we're going on roads. Truckers are going on these same roads delivering goods. Like you know, we're not we're not roughing it. You yeah, know, like, you're not going to be killing and skinning a deer or something along the way. Like, exactly, just- <laughs> exactly. I think the most we did was like we'd we'd we'd, we'd hang like、uh, you know other bear girls knowledge. We'd hang our food if we were camping、okay. in a tree outside a camp. You know, and it's just、yeah. like nobody taught us that. Bear girls taught Mike that, and Mike. You know, use that use that to keep us bear free. <laughs> awesome. What did your guys' parents think about this idea? I mean, I can imagine my parents if I was twenty and I said I was going to do that, they probably wouldn't be thrilled. Everybody's parents were supportive.、Oh, Everybody's wow, parents、great. were supportive. Well, were supportive because they think you know it's this big thing. Their kids are are you know college age, and it's an activity that they can't really say no to. It's not like hey, I'm going on a cross country like cocaine binge. It's like hey, I'm going on a bike tour. It's a healthy activity. The safety risk is minimal. You just got to be smart, stay on the roads. And I think our parents were just generally excited,、cool. and you know, nervous and worried. Obviously, we're on、yeah. the roads, and and they don't want us to get injured. But they were all pretty excited at the prospect. You know, I, I think. Well, if they don't die, it'll toughen them up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and you know, just like hey, this is a fun challenge, and this is a thing that they'll look back on. It's like you know, I, I think、uh, in talking to our parents about it, it was like you know. Oh, youth! You know, like here's this thing to do in your youth that you'll be able to carry memories for forever. Yeah, I think that's what what my dad said to me is like you're gonna you're gonna really remember this trip. It's like yeah, you know, that's it's that, pretty cool. So were, yeah, n- nervous and excited and and not not you know no hovering. Yeah, it was good. So you said you basically just grabbed two bicycles out of a out of the garages. I think this is a really important point because I just actually recorded a podcast with another friend of mine.、Um, we do this another series together, and we were talking about the fact that you don't have to have the best touring bikes available. You know, if you have a road bike, use the road bike. If you have a mountain bike, use the mountain bike. Now, I would never have said use the supercycle full suspension bike, but you know, even <laughs> then, there's nothing wrong with it as long as you make it work based on you know your budget and all the other things you have going on. The, those bikes with no maintenance. The other thing I should I should also、uh, explain is after this trip and years later when I was like you know in pro- properly in college I left community college went、uh, you know gone to Loyola in Chicago I picked up a, a summer job working in a bike shop and so I you know like I I learned more information about bikes after the trip than I knew on the trip right、uh, and and kind of stuff to avoid but before the trip and 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 you know kind of with no care no maintenance nothing. Those bikes from the garage got us 450 miles. They、sure. got us from Chicago to Columbus. They basically one of them broke down 
20 miles outside of Columbus. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, the other one wasn't in good shape, but hadn't, hadn't fully broken down yet. And so, you know, we had to call because it was, I mean, was Tony's bike or my bike? I can't remember whose bike it was, but it basically fell apart. Gears fell off the bike. We, we'd been doing very basic roadside maintenance to this point where yeah. it's just like pop, pop the chain back on the gear, reinflate the tires, you know, like fill, you know, uh-huh. patch any, any holes. And so to this point, everything to service the bike that we needed to get 450 miles was very basic things that, you know, didn't really need a lot of training. Mm-hmm. You just kind of, you know, you get a patch kit. The person at the bike shop tells you how to patch it. Patching is pretty simple. Uh, and everything else was easy. Once the gears fell off the bike and once every, you know, like everything kind of disassembled on the road, that was like outside of our expertise. And we're like, well, we're not, we're not qualified to deal with yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't have the tools or, you know, anything to really make that happen. Mm-hmm. And so in Columbus, we bought new bikes. And, and still, at when we bought new bikes in Columbus, they were the cheapest, you know, not the cheapest, but they were like the cheapest road, like hybrid bikes we could mm-hmm. get. They were like 500 bucks a piece. We bought helmets. We hadn't bought helmets before then, so we were riding the roads very unsafely. Did you guys buy the helmets? They were gifted to us. My uncle, uh, Sean, was like, you're absurd. Uh, you know, like he helped us get the bikes. He paid for the bikes because okay. we were on the road and didn't have bike money. Uh, and then, you know, uh, he got the helmets. I can't remember the exact details. I think Mike and Arthur might have put the money up for the bikes. And okay. then he bought us the helmets as like a gift. But he facilitated the whole thing. He's part of the transaction somewhere. I'm just, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's 10 years ago. But, you know, uh, we didn't go for like, you know, it's not like we, we had stars in our eyes and we're like, oh, what, you know, that's a $2,500 touring bike. That's what I need. And we were just like, what's the bike that's going to get us the additional 450 miles? Yeah. And yeah. so I think that that feeling of like, we didn't have to go for broke. You know, we didn't have to, to have to sink a ton of money to get what we needed uh, was really kind of very helpful for us because we didn't have mm-hmm. a ton of money. We didn't have the kind of money, uh, you know, do this at a very expensive rate. You know, we just had college kid money and college kid money <laughs> got us 900 miles, you know, like yeah, it got yeah. us the whole way. Yeah, I say that quite often too, is like, you know, depending on the length of your tour too, if you're going to do 10,000 kilometers or miles, then you might want to have a high quality bike. But if you're doing a shorter tour, you can make do, you know, things can yeah. generally manage. Those new bikes that we got, uh, those new bikes that we got, it lasted another, you know, like five, six years after the trip. So uh, a, a good solid investment, don't buy a cheap mm-hmm. bike. But also, you don't have to get like everything with the bells and whistles. Yeah, you know exactly. that was that was like you know what I learned. And you guys use the trailers because you didn't have saddlebags and all those things either, right? So the purpose for the trailers mm-hmm. specifically was that the amount of stuff that we were carrying was too big for saddlebags and okay. paneers and you know like all of that stuff. Also for protecting purposes, like we mm-hmm. were we were uh, during this trip very conscious of the fact that if we put things in saddlebags and you tip or you get hit or something happens and you spill, you could potentially damage the camera equipment. So it was like mainly the trailers were about protecting the camera equipment and carrying all the stuff that we needed. And, you know, it's like we went through so much water because we did this in high summer. We did not pick the time well. Yeah. So we were just like chugging water, you know, like and and going through, you know, gallons of it a day to, Mm -hmm. to stay hydrated. So I think you know, afterwards we're like, oh, we could have done so many things differently. We could have had saddlebags, but realistically, you know, the saddlebags probably would have been fine if we weren't filming and probably would have been fine if it was just the two cyclists mm-hmm. and, and not two more people. Okay, yeah, but the provisions point. that we need for four people wouldn't have likely fit in a saddlebag. Yeah. I mean, you had $3,000 worth of camera equipment. Where did you get it? Was it borrowed um, or was all your... Uh, Mike and Arthur had scrimped and saved every dollar they had. 
oh, and man. bought all this stuff lovingly. You know, like it was this was a this is a labor of love. Yeah, yeah. And so they took all their hard earned money for you know two years and bought the you know the camera equipment, the microphones. That was the other big purchase. And this is back when I mean those cameras filmed tape. So yeah. they bought you know like fifty tapes. Uh, 50 to 100 tapes and you know they got the money together for that and that was always the prim- like primary focus was filming so that was their own money there was no m- fundraising for that okay what i wanted to ask is what kind of things did you guys overpack because i think there are some things you guys definitely brought that just weren't needed so um when we had started the trip and we'd kind of gone through the list of things and i think mike and arthur have a better idea of what all we had initially mm-hmm. but we overpacked clothing uh, you know, I, I think that we, we'd overpacked a lot of clothing. Uh, there was some camping equipment. We thought that we would do a lot more kind of like rustic camping. Okay. And so I know that, that we'd had like cookware and stuff for like deep in the woods. And up until uh, Pennsylvania, there really weren't many woods yeah. to camp in. It wasn't like we had the opportunity. So we were staying mainly along thoroughfares that had places to eat. Okay. We found that ultimately that the, the food provisions that we had brought initially outside of like snacks and things for the road were a little much. It was definitely the cookware uh, and so many clothes. I mean, we bought, we, we overbrought clothes. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I think I was a big contributor to that because I was like, well, we're going to be on the road for a month. And so I need, you know, the X number of things. And I wasn't thinking like, you know, oh, we'll just re-wear the same stuff we're wearing because nobody cares how we smell. So it was just like I overpacked clothes. You know, it's like I think by the end of it, once we, once we got to Columbus, we dumped about you know, half of our outfits and, and the cookware. And there was a whole, there were two whole trash bags. Oh, wow. Black trash bags full of stuff that we took out of the carts that we left in my aunt's basement. They were just like, this was unnecessary stuff. And it was heavy. I remember Arthur had to come pick it up way after the trip. It's easier, I think, to talk about things that were in the cart mm-hmm. that like we kept and, and that I remember from the trip because it was just water, snacks for the road, you know, like enough snacks to, to, to subsist for, for, for like two or three days. And then like two or three changes of clothes and, okay. and the ca- and camera equipment and all that yeah. stuff. Because really like we, we brought so many extra things and I think Mike, like Arthur had brought a shovel and you know, like, and, a, and if, like just things that were like, Oh, we'll need this. And then we ended up not needing it because you yeah. can't just dig holes in the wood, you know, like for no reason. For you know, sure. like you get a the one that made me really laugh was the horseshoe. Like not just a small little token horseshoe, like a full size horseshoe. <laughs> I think Mike, Mike, Mike Arthur found that on a barn. Oh, no kidding. It was near a dilapidated barn. And they're like, <laughs> oh, look, a horseshoe. And he throws it in the back. And like after a while, because we were getting furious at the weight of these things, like we were getting so upset. And I, I just remember one day I was biking and I, I, uh, I had struggled to bike. I had, had the hardest time acclimating to biking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and finally, I'd hit my stride and I was doing well. And I remember Tony, the other cyclist, getting really upset at his cart and all the stupid shit that was in it. Because he was just like, oh, he got to the side of the road and he started just like taking stuff out of it and throwing it out. And he's just like, this is all trash. Like, this is all unnecessary stuff and it's yeah. slowing me down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about the tour itself. So this is way back in... 2008, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Google, yeah. Google Maps was definitely not a thing at the time. So how did you guys plan your route for navigation? So when, when the trip started out, uh, uh, Mike and Arthur had gotten on whatever the map, you know, MapQuest, mm-hmm. I think at the time was was the big platform, had gotten on MapQuest and, and downloaded like 30 pages of directions. It was like, it was a thick book of like, we're going to take this turn to this turn to this turn to this turn. Yeah. And uh, 
that was wrong. Like it was so wrong. And then it was just like, you know, cause it, it was, it was giving us car directions and a car can get onto the interstate and can get onto oh, the yeah, turn true, true. you know, and can do all of these things that you on a bike can't. Uh, and so like the first day and within the first two hours, those, those directions had gotten us just completely lost. And, and we resorted then to a combination of things. We went and we bought roadmaps, uh-huh. uh, you know, just to, just general roadmaps that you could find at a gas station. And then I had the very, I had a precursor smartphone. It was like the Palm Pre or something, but it was like a very early precursor smartphone yeah. that had a maps application on it. And between those two things, it's like it had GPS so I could see where we were. And then I'd honestly just go to the map that we got at the gas station and I'd say, okay, phone says we're here. You know, I see that street sign. I see that street sign. I know, okay, yes, we're here. And then I plug it into the phone, our, our destination, I'd say, okay. And then I would use the map that we had in front of us and say, you know, okay, yeah, they, these look like the roads. And it was very helpful to get a general direction, mm-hmm. but yeah, we didn't have turn by turn navigation because a lot of America isn't, you know, like things are not updated regularly. If a road's closed, it doesn't show up on the, on the, on the map on the right. app or the map. And so, if, you know, we, and regularly we would come across these like, oh, road closure, and we'd have to take a detour. And as long as we knew the general direction we were going, uh, which is what the, the phone we kind of used for was like, okay, we're, we're still heading in the right direction. It's got a GPS. We, we're, we're still heading east. Uh, then we used, just used the map and kind of like I would start every day of our day. I'd say, okay, this looks like the route we're going to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the first five days, we knew, uh, five, six days, we knew about how many miles we could do a day. So I would try to pick a town that was within that range and say, okay, this looks like where we'll be stopping for the evening. But it was all like, it was all hand, you know, kind of handheld paper maps. Okay. I remember in that first day, I think first or second day of your guys trip, you guys were approaching like a suburb of Chicago and people were like, "Uh, guys, don't go there. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) That happened a few times. And it was, so the area outside of Chicago that we were warned about was Gary, Indiana. Okay. And Gary, 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 Indiana is is basically like a big industrial park and a really, really impoverished town, like, you know, not doing, uh, not doing well. And everybody, our parents, in, you know, it's like Tony and I were like, we cannot go through Gary, Indiana. Okay. Mike and Arthur specifically were like, nah, we can go, we can go through uh, Gary, it's fine. And it took Tony and I to be like, no, we're not taking our bikes with this camera equipment worth $3,000 through Gary, Indiana. All right, you know, like we're not doing it. And so that was like one of the first of our reroutes necessitated by other people's information. Uh, the same thing happened to us in Philly because, you know, we were told, it's like, hey, don't ride your bikes over to Camden. Yeah. They call it ki- they call it Killer Camden. And we're like, well, having gone through Gary and some of the other areas we've gone through, we were like, yeah, uh, yeah, we're going to avoid Camden. And so we went around. But, you know, that happened a fair amount where people, locals had more information than us about yeah. the lay of the land. They'd warn us, hey, that there's a hill that's coming up that's going to be like it's a, they, they call it three mile hill and it's too much for you guys to bike and skateboard up. Like it's almost vertical, you know, the, 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 the incline of this hill uh, and, and, you know, using their information and the maps, we were able to kind of figure out routes. Uh, people were very helpful in that, like, yeah. you know, kind of the local knowledge. Yeah. Well, I think it's hard. Like, I mean, I, I'm from Canada. We, we don't really have neighborhoods to cities that are like, super dangerous <laughs> they don't really yeah. exist here so yeah i can only imagine going through the u.s <laughs> going through the u.s and having people saying like don't go to that neighborhood you'd be like okay <laughs> for you guys it makes sense for us we'd be like why uh, what's interesting about that is that i think local knowledge 
mm-hmm. is not like universal. It's not something that like we we were told that an area would be very dangerous in West Virginia, and people were like, "Oh, that area is super dangerous," but it's all relative. Like right. super dangerous coming out of Chicago versus super dangerous in like the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, we had to learn how to like mitigate what people were saying because some people would, you know, people could have a, have a way of making the language sound severe. And it's like, you know, we, I think we, we got to that suburb of West Virginia and it was just like some of the white picket fences weren't painted up to code or whatever. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, wow, this is not dangerous at all. Like, you know, but to, but to the locals, it's like, Oh, that's so dangerous. Yeah. yeah. That's good. So it's all relative. People's information is also like as helpful as it can be. It's always like, you have to take it with a little bit of of a grain of salt. If people are are warning you for your safety, listen, uh, you know, uh, trust, but verify, Mm -hmm. you know, you talked about acclimatization or getting used to the bike tour. What was uh, what was that like when you guys were starting out? Because none of you were like cyclists, for instance. Um, what was it like to be on a bike every day? So I had at the very beginning, you know, when Mike and Arthur had said, hey, do you want to do this? And I said, yes. I immediately did nothing to train for it. I didn't set anything. I didn't, you know, I was just kind of like, oh, it's like biking and, and how hard could it be? And Within the second day, really within the first day, but by the second day, I was just like, wow, I am physically incapable of biking long distance. You know, it's like I was a very skinny mm-hmm. guy uh, then. I didn't have a lot of, I, I think I was like, I'm, I was 5'9 and 130 pounds, you know, I'm like <laughs> just not, you know, very, 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 yeah. very, very, very thin, no muscle on me. And so biking every day was just brutal because I didn't have the, I didn't have the physical capability. I wasn't able to really push myself. Uh, I, I didn't know how to ride the bike. I was, you know, like it, it took a lot. I think by the seventh, eighth day and, and longer, my body started catching up and, and, and I, I was able to go longer distances and I started developing muscle tone and I started really feeling like the biggest thing that helped me later was this mental attitude of just like keep pushing. Yeah. Because uh, I didn't I didn't have that mental attitude before. And it was just like I could feel this small voice kind of growing as the trip went on, you know, day by day, like, see if you can push a little harder, see if you can, like, you know, uh, see if you can pedal a little more. And I remember, you know, uh, we were getting up a hill and generally what would happen when we got to hills is because we had the baby carts, you'd have to stop. It's really, really difficult to ride with a trailer up in the big hills. It's really, really hard. And so I would stop and I would push the bike up the hill and the cyclists or the skateboarders would get behind the cart and push the cart up. Uh, you know, kind of to assist with the weight because they were so heavy. And I got to some hill, and I think it was in Pennsylvania, and I just powered through the whole hill by myself, just, you know, like pushed, 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 and I was going slow. But I was just like, hey, I'm going to do it. And that was the moment that, like, that voice inside me kind of, like, fully developed of, like, you can push yourself a little bit harder. I I found out at the top of the mountain that I had a busted tire on the baby trailer. Oh, no. (laughs) That I was biking up that whole thing with a busted baby trailer, and it was just like everybody, you know, Mike, Arthur, and Tony were just like, whoa, you biked. Like, you, you pushed through this all the way to the top, like, dang. And it was like, yeah, you know, it was like it was a sense of accomplishment. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I did. <laughs> I mean, on a skateboard, it's a lot different than a bike. You bike, you can go off on the shoulder of the road and stuff. How bad were the trucks and cars and stuff for your the guys, uh, for Arthur and uh, Tony? Was it Tony? Uh, Tony? No, Tony was biking uh, Arthur and Mike, right? Arthur and Mike, the biggest issue with the trucks, especially the semis, were the kind of wind tunnels that they created in their wake. Mm-hmm. For the skateboarders, they had a rough time 
with kind of just the state of the roads, the pebbles and the things that are all over, you know, the shoulder. And then for, you know, the wind tunnels that these trucks would create. And they didn't really get clipped too much. We, uh, Tony and I, would would regularly, I think because there's unfortunately like people see cyclists and they're just like, Hey, let's fuck with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that, that either we'd get buzzed or, you know, or people just weren't put work being safe. Like, you know, I was like, I remember having a, having a truck pass by within like an inch of my handlebar, you know, and it was just kind of like, wow. oof, you know, like it, it's, the, those are clenching moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, I think everybody kind of had different problems on the road and I think, that the skateboarder's biggest issue was just the wind and the and the rubble. Yeah, what were some of the difficulties you guys had to face? Nobody knows yours yet, but do you want to talk about that? So some of the biggest difficulties that faced us on the road is we're a bunch of city kids mm-hmm. or, you know, suburban city kids. And so we grew up with a general vague idea of survival, but not really a strong one. Uh, and so it was appropriate rations and appropriate water. Uh, very early in the trip, we ran out of water uh, and, and had to go ask farmers and, uh, you know, their dogs weren't very friendly yeah. uh, uh, to, 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 to trespassers looking for water. Some of the big issues that we faced was just not knowing what was legal and what wasn't. Because, okay. uh, you know, we, we started the trip on the highways and in Indiana, they didn't care. But by the time we got to Ohio, we were getting stopped by the police on the highway saying you can't be on the highway. And so we'd have to find kind of alternate ways around. Some of the biggest struggles were just planning and organization mm-hmm. kind of base. They were things that we didn't know, couldn't have researched, didn't have the have the experience in. And that, you know, we kind of overcame as time went on. But looking back, you're like, wow, that was a that was a big struggle. We were like we would ride at night and that was very dangerous. And you know, it's like we would uh, with limited visibility and yeah. very thankful that we didn't get hit by anybody. <laughs> were there injuries? Injuries oh yeah. So specifically one of the dangerous things and that kind of ties into the negligence like we we didn't have a lot of experience dealing with biking long distance and traveling long distance Mm -hmm. and we protected ourselves from the sun we figured okay we've got sunblock we've got all of these things you know we were were aware of the sun and we're not going to get sunburned uh what we didn't count on was that when you're biking in the summer and the sun hits the pavement the pavement gets so hot that it radiates heat upwards yeah and so i i cooked my legs i got i got Um. thermal burns on my legs from the asphalt. They weren't, they weren't sunburned. Oh, so it wasn't even a sunburn. It was actual thermal burns. It was an actual thermal burn. Yeah. Cause it it didn't hurt to the touch. There was a little bit of nerve damage in there, Mm -hmm. uh, because it, it, you know, that the heat had, had basically penetrated my skin and gone, got gone past it and cooked my leg a little bit. So it was just, uh, yeah, I, I woke up. I woke up and was just like looked at my legs and they were bright red and I couldn't, I had no sense of touching them. Yeah. I, like I couldn't, like I, I could hit them and I'd be like, oh, I don't really feel anything. I think if there's just one reason to watch this documentary is to see your legs because ne- <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> they, they're really grisly. They kind of look like, what's that guy that, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the movie, but, uh, where he's got, where he's got the knife hands. Uh, looked like his Freddy Krueger. It looked like uh, my, yeah. my legs look like my legs look like Freddy something, Krueger's something between face. that and like a lobster that just came out of a pot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, they were they were. It was it was grotesque. Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely you know it's like a, as you know, a decade on, I look back at that time and think, wow, that was very reckless. As we basically got back on the bike and was like, yeah, you know, let's do this. Let's finish the trip out. Yeah, and you, my you were, band, by then my you were bike. already hardcore. <laughs> yeah. I bandaged my leg with their medicated bandages. We bought uh, NASCAR pajama pants from the local Walmart, and I just wore wore pants 
for the for you know for a good chunk of the trip until my legs had healed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was definitely the most dangerous thing. It was just like our own ignorance of the dangers that could befall us. Because it's just yeah. like, had I known about thermal burns, had I realized that the asphalt would get so hot, I probably would have covered my legs a little better. <laughs> but I, you know, I didn't. So I ended yeah. up in the hospital. And um, any accidents? I think one of the guys crashed on the skateboard, right? Uh, we, we, we'd have a, we'd had a bunch of things happen, you know, kind of along the trip. Uh, I had run over Mike with my bike. He'd hit a rock and, you know, kind of fallen and Superman oh, no. right in front of my bike. And I didn't have the time to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went over him with the bike and the baby cart. <laughs> and he, he was fine. You know, he was, he was fine. Just a little bumped up. And then uh, Tony had uh, developed a stress injury from biking, you know, like his, his shoulder just hurt. Cause you're holding this position. We had backpacks, we had the baby carts. Uh, you know, we were, we're, we're pushing on the bike. You're standing the pedal to get power and momentum. Uh, and he developed this stress injury in his shoulder and it was just killing him. And we had tiger bomb and a bunch of stuff. And it was just, you know, it was brutal on him. Uh, and he had, Arthur decided to bike for a bit to give Tony a chance to rest and kind of not use his shoulder to bike. And Tony had, basically fallen you know like he he he, he, he hit a rock or something mm-hmm. and, and he hit the ground hard he was going fast and so he, you know he hurt that shoulder that he had already stressed oh, injured okay. on the road yeah so for, after that we had to we you know we took more weight out of tony's cart we we switched it to mine yeah. you know he took his backpack off and threw it in the cart you know like we just had to manage i think arthur and mike threw more things in their backpack we just had to kind of spread the weight around so that that he wasn't as stressed because once you're out in the middle of nowhere, like I think it happened in the middle of the night, and that's what made us decide that we couldn't really ride at night anymore. But he got injured in the middle of the night. Okay. And we're like, where? How even do you get to a hospital around here? Like, if he was seriously injured, where do we go? And so we decided to change kind of the way that we approach things because of that. Okay. Were there any moments um, during the tour where just absolute regret for doing this? I, I can't speak for the guys, yep. but you know, I, I can speak for myself. I definitely had this rotating. Uh, kind of cycle of emotions mm-hmm. where it would start it would start at like this is fine everything is good and then it would be like i hate this why did i do this like the, why have i done this to myself and then at some point i would kind of come into this emotion like this is the best thing that i've done okay. or that i could have done for myself and so i would cycle through those things three things over the trip like you know day by day or you know hour by hour especially as stuff got tough or if you, you know, like if you, if you're having a down moment, but always, if you just kind of kept powering through it, I'd come back to that. Like, this is the best feeling that I've had. Like, this is, you know, like I feel really alive. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. And do you think that the trip made you guys closer just by 100%. virtue of completing this and surviving this journey? A hundred percent. I mean, Arthur, Arthur, Mike and I had been friends and, and classmates before, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, not, not super close friends. And I had never met Tony before in my life. Like he was not, he, uh, he had come in and was a friend of Mike and Arthur. Yeah. And after, you know, like the halfway point of the trip, we were bonded. And then, you know, like after the trip had completed, we we're like brothers for life. You know, like we're just, you're, you feel so close to someone cause you've had this shared experience that nobody else has had, you know, that, that, uh, you know, a few, few people have had and you have stories and things that happen to just the four of us mm-hmm. that are like, you know, that nobody else got to see. And some people, you know, thankfully in the documentary, we, we were able to capture moments of it, but there's so much more outside of the documentary that yeah. we just couldn't film or didn't have, you know, like didn't have the cameras rolling. And those moments are the ones that made us kind of bond for life. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I think, especially at that age, like something you, you do something like that, like nobody else will ever 
fit in that niche that you guys have. That one little bond is it's just yeah, it, it definitely changed my life and the way that I saw myself. Because until that point, I'd kind of been like an indoor, shut-in video game kid. Yeah. I didn't really go outside, and I had friends, but not not to the level that I would say that Mike, Arthur, and Tony and I had become after the trip. Okay, I felt like after that, it had opened up kind of like the possibilities of who I could be. Mm-hmm. Friendships became easier. I felt like I was more confident, you know, like I'd, I'd actually gotten out, I'd gone outside and I'd gotten some sun and I'd got some exercise. And I think my body was like, oh, that's what living is supposed to be like. <laughs> you know, like this is, you're, you're not supposed to be, uh, you know, living exclusively off of Coca-Cola products indoors, you know, 24 uh, seven. And so it was just kind of like a big shock to my system and a big like, hey, you know, this is what's possible. You just have to get outside, man. Yeah, that's really awesome because that's kind of like leading me right into this is um, what was your biggest takeaway from completing this and how did it change you and the other guys as well? I mean, I think I think for all of us, it was just the like, we can do this mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's gone into everything that and individually each of us has done is this sense of like, you can do anything, you just have to put your mind to it and work through it. Yeah. You know, like failure isn't you know, it's not that failure isn't an option, but that failure isn't the worst thing. Not doing it is the worst thing. Like not doing this thing and not getting to see what the results are on the other side is the worst thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because failure is just going to happen. It's a byproduct of, of starting anything. But, you know, that that if you just kind of keep chugging along and keep doing it and keep putting the work in that, you know, eventually something, you know, might come of it. That was probably the biggest thing for the group, awesome. if I had to guess. And then for myself, it was just this, like, I, I developed that inner voice and I use it like I haven't, I haven't really biked much since, but I use it when I run or do any other physical activity. And there's just that in, internal voice. It's like, yeah, you can go a little further. You oh, can push okay. yourself like, you know, and then so like that voice I hadn't had before. I was very shitty at PE. Like, you know, I couldn't run a mile fast and I started applying that voice in more places and ran a 5k and, you know, kind of did all this stuff. And it's not super impressive, but it's just like Mm -hmm. when you don't have, when you go from not having that internal voice of like confidence to having it, it's like that voice started in me because I pushed myself on this trip and it's carried me another decade further, you know? Yeah, that's pretty cool. All said and done, how far did you guys bike slash skateboard throughout the uh, the adventure? It was about a thousand miles. It's like nine, between 900 and a thousand miles was the, was the total kind of trip. For any non-imperial people, that's about 1600 kilometers. What was it like, man, coming into New York City? Oh, I mean, you know, so I live in New York City now uh, and, and that, that trip to Entrep America I fell in love with New York City. I, you know, we landed in Times Square and I, the lights were just, you know, stunning. Since then, and since living in New York, Times Square is horrible. But <laughs> then it was just like this beautiful, like this beautiful tapestry of lights and people and, and all kinds of activities. Uh-huh. And like everything kind of glowed, one, because we were done with the trip, but just because I think our energy was so positive and, and, you know, we were in the, in the midst of this accomplishment that like the city had a sheen to it. Yeah, it was just, you know, incredible. And people were very nice. And, you know, I remember, you know, we, we just had big grins on our faces and we had all of our equipment with us and we were going through the city and it was all kind of a whirlwind blur, but, you know, it made me really, really, really love the city. And so eventually I moved out here for work, but, you know, it was oh, just cool. kind of a, I had never seen anything like it. And it was a, a view that changed my life. Wow. So it was like the real precursor, huh? Uh-huh. Absolutely. What was the, 
not just the people, but the media, how what, how did they all respond to what you guys were doing? Because I know you guys promoted it pretty pretty strongly at the time too. The media had responded. I think someone had mentioned since, and you know, and I, I don't know how true this is, mm-hmm. but someone had mentioned since that we'd gotten a lot of media airplay because it was a summer without a lot of murders. That apparently, <laughs> like, <laughs> that if like if there are a ton of murders, we would have just been like at the back of the line in front of whatever that like popular murder of the day was. But because it was a summer without many murders, and that might not be true, but I feel like I, someone told me that uh, at one of these news stations, they were like, "Yeah, you know, if the murders are high, we, we generally don't do these kind of fluff pieces because of the times." You know, tell us about your trip. Wow, the that's kind of sad. Very, that's kind of sad. <laughs> It was sad, but it was also kind of like, what an opportune moment. And like, you know, like, and like, what a good distraction for people from this terrible thing. It's like, you know, we're we're out here on the road. Things are a lot of, you know, the the, the media would stop up with us and find us and kind of like take photos and check in. And and it was the summer kind of like feel good piece for for some people of like, hey, well, look at these kids doing this thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think in, you know, in some ways the media helped kind of push this, uh, push this out and helped us feel positive about what we were doing too, because their attention was like, Hey, look, we've made it to this mile or, Hey, we've done this. And then we had like a, like a, like an in paper kind of marker of like, Oh yeah, that's when we did that. Or oh, that's when mm. we talked to somebody, you know, did you have, um, did you have people recognizing you along the way being like, Oh, you guys are the guys. Absolutely not. Yeah, no. uh, I think I think I think print membership is down. So print media, <laughs> you know, this is this is before viral videos and stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so I think had we been uh, a few years before, it would have been it, it would have been something different. But I don't think there was enough viewership of those things for it to reach, you know, the folks on the ground. And also, a lot of these things were in the cities. So like, you know, the Chicago would have a newspaper, New York would have a newspaper, and we were in Ohio. So it's like nobody's going to know right. when you're in Ohio what's going on. In- and nobody's using digital media at that time. Yeah, yeah, not not, not the way not the not the way we're using now. Mm-hmm. I think you know at that time it was like MySpace and Facebook had maybe just been a thing, you know, like a, a, and maybe just started, but nothing to the level where I think people could share those things now uh, and 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 kind of get mass viewership. I think we got our first now this, you know, like that that web mm-hmm. content where they where they follow interesting things oh, yeah, yeah. like two or three years ago so it's just like you know like it's like like you know 20, 2017 and the trip has been gone you know done since 2008 you know so it, I, I think that we didn't have anybody we didn't have anybody recognize us but we had a lot of people very interested and a lot of people were very enthused by the idea you know they'd, they'd be like oh man that's really exciting nice i think we we signed some we we, we didn't have we didn't sign autographs we had people sign our cart as we went through people, you know, like who, who thought the story was cool, they'd sign the baby carts that we were that we were t- uh, tugging behind us. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. You guys actually made some international news and stuff too, right? I think I saw something from Japan even. Japan and Poland because uh, Mike and uh, Arthur are Polish. Yeah, uh, Arthur's, I knew Polish. Arthur was Polish just from his last name, yeah. Yeah, his last name. And, and Mike Koshesha is also Polish. Oh, okay. It's, very, it's a very, very difficult to say last name. Uh, <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, they're both Polish, uh, and so the Polish media, uh, Polish language news, had an interest in them. Yeah, Japan for some reason. They they like skateboarding. They have they're like they're really into like alternative culture in Japan. So 
Yeah. 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 And they, they showed up and they, they, they interviewed Mike and Arthur. And I just, I remember seeing the clip cause it was like TV Tokyo or something. And it was just like Mike and Arthur song. We were, you know, like we're here in New York city. And I was like, this is amazing. That's wild. <laughs> have there been any more adventures since that time, either as the group or has any, have any of the guys gone on to do some pretty cool adventures on their own, I guess. Uh, so I, I know that adventure wise, Arthur got into kind of like long, Gird distance cycling. He, he he would take you know day trips up to Wisconsin, biking mm-hmm. from Chicago to Wisconsin, and he got into the kind of touring scene a little bit more. Okay. And for for the rest of us, I don't think so. You know, like I think we all we all pretty much went like that was fun. We've talked about it and joked about, hey, let's do another trip, or hey, let's do Shred America when we're thirty or forty, just to like you know kind of as a, as an aside. But I I think that that kind of was like a one and done adventure deal, or just like hey, that that was fun. And the urge hasn't really struck any of us to do it again. Okay. Where can people find you guys if they want to find out more about you? You can find more about the film, uh, Shred America, on shredamericafilm.com. Uh, we're also uh, on Facebook and a few other places. You can just Perfect. Uh, you know, f- find it. And then also, I think coming up soon, I wish I should, I should have prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur didn't tell me to prepare to, to, to sell this thing. Uh, I believe that it's coming out on a bunch of video on demand platforms this May and I've got to find it's exactly definitely in May yeah I think it was like May uh, 9th or something or it's f- made May 5th uh, pre-order expected May 5th it's going to be on May iTunes and, and Amazon and a bunch of other places if you go to shredamericafilm.com you'll be able to find all the info of where to get it uh, but yeah documentaries coming out and you get to watch a bunch of kids figure out uh you know kind of how to long distance travel with zero experience so yeah it was pretty uh it was a pretty cool documentary i mean i yeah i watched it what last week it was enjoyable it was really cool just to see how like lost you guys were and to see you learn and experience and grow and develop throughout the uh, the, the hour and a half or so yeah it was it, it was a, it was a trip of a lifetime is there anything you'd like to uh to add before we go that i might have missed or you want to focus on no i think we covered all the big bases uh arthur doesn't wear shirts Short America, the film is going to be available May 5th <laughs> on video on demand. Uh, I didn't know how to bike and now I do. Uh, yeah, I think we're, we're good. Cool. And um, where are all the guys located now? Like what parts of the country? Uh, Arthur is based in Chicago. We're all basically still involved in some capacity in freelancing, either, you know, creatively with photography. Uh, I think that Tony's doing uh, photography in California. Uh, Arthur is doing freelance in Chicago, motion graphics and design, and Mike and myself here in New York City, we're both uh, editors. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, film and television editors doing various projects. So we're all still kind of tied to the industry and tied to the things that we were doing then, but now we're just you know a little bit older and a little bit wiser. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, how come it took 12 years to make the documentary? What, what happened? Uh... I think the biggest part was, you know, just the same way that we were inexperienced on the road, uh, mm-hmm. there was a lot of inexperience uh, with making the film, and I think you know because we we none of nobody uh, in our group had worked professionally by that point. You know, we're still in school. Yeah, nobody really had the knowledge, and and you know, to to take a hundred hours of documentary footage and make you know an hour and a half long film, uh, it's a, it's a huge process, and it's a you know it's very grueling, and it's 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 requires a lot of kind of trial and error and experience in that scene and. Mike and Arthur had wanted to edit the film themselves. They didn't, you okay. know, they, they, that was that was their focus, and so it, it grew along with them and their skills and ability. 
uh, as they kind of learned best practices from the industry, from being in it, mm-hmm. they go and apply it back to the film and say, okay, we're going to go through and we're going to categorize all the footage and we're going to, we're going to have someone transcribe all of it. So we've got a lot of all the words that were said. We didn't know to do that when we started, but as they gained experience in the industry, they're like, okay, this will help us in the process. Cause they were just searching through footage and looking for the best clips and missing a lot of stuff. Oh, uh, and, okay. and so, you know, it took, it, it partly took a long time to release for that. And then also it's taken a long time uh, to release because there are a lot of things that, that kind of legally go into releasing a film like this, a documentary, and there's a lot of contracts and whole, whole, whole things and finding a distributor. And so oh, okay. those things are, are all negotiations that take time. We didn't, we didn't make this film with a deal in hand for release later. You mm-hmm. know, it's just like, I, it, it, these are all things that you have to pick up and get along the way. Oh, you know? okay. Well, that's pretty well, man. It's, um, yeah, it was, it was great. Thanks for your time. And, uh, I wish you guys the best with the uh, upcoming yeah, release of the documentary. And if people are interested, I mean, I highly recommend shredamerica.com, right? Shredamerica shredamericafilm.com. Shredamericafilm.com. If you go to shredamerica.com, I think that's like a paper shredding company. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you go to shredamericafilm.com, that's where you can find our film. Awesome. And it's coming out on May 5th for all those that might be interested in checking it out. James, thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, Chris. Be well. Yeah, you as well. Bye-bye. Safe travels. Thanks. I want to end my show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I receive from you regularly. It really motivates me to keep going with this project and to share people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or go to www.biketouradventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and my new touring tips page, which is slowly getting created. I'll also be integrating the Touring Talk podcast episodes into the Touring Tips section so you can listen to or read on whatever topics you like. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can also become one of my show supporters by going to www.patreon.com slash biketouradventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. Much appreciated, and keep on peddling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.